0: welcome to the rebecca panapinto project today i'm excited to host new orchard which is an incredible company based in nashville tennessee i also had the pleasure of hosting two guests from new orchard today and the first one is rusty goodsell he is an entrepreneur a husband and a father who loves to innovate and build creative environments rusty has traveled all over the world learning and gleaning from leaders of various communities businesses and cultures and he truly has a passion for creating space where people can thrive and feel the freedom to both succeed and fail while figuring out who they are and what really drives them. The most recent place he's been able to do this is within New Orchard, where there he and his team are building technology to help cultivate financial, communal, and relational wealth. Joining Rusty today is Samantha Burgess, who is the Director of Innovation for New Orchard. Her goal is to build and protect New Orchard's reputation as a creator of powerful, innovative, and intuitive offerings that help promote human flourishing throughout business. In addition to the U.S., Samantha has also worked in Mexico, Romania, Honduras, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Also, just last year, in 2001, she was recognized as a finalist for the Innovator of the Year Award given by the Nashville Technology Council. As you'll see today, Rusty and Samantha have an amazing friendship that's turned an incredible foundation of a partnership for all the amazing work they're doing at New Orchard. Enjoy the show. Rusty and Samantha, how are you today? We're great. I feel good. Yeah, you look good. Well, Sun thank shining you. 70 degrees outside so in my early March. <laughs> hey, it happens to the best of us, Rusty. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're not human if you don't shine. So that's right.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, I'm so excited to have both of you on the show today. It's only every once in a while I get to have a two in one. So I'm really excited for that today. And I want to hear from you guys. A little bit of the history of the dynamic of your relationship and partnership, how you guys initially started doing business together and what it looks like today. I know Rusty, you call Samantha your hero. So feel free to share how she got that, that nickname.
1: She lost a really bad, uh, poker bet. Mm -hmm. So she has to work with me.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, no, uh, we, we started working, uh, together. What, I mean,
2: 10? Almost 10 years ago. Yeah. 10
1: years ago uh, with a, a company called Guidant Partners um, to where we were kind of brought in to help grow the organization through processes and procedures between sales and operations and whatnot. And, uh, you know, Sam was at a place where uh, she was, you know, trying on a number of different jackets and uh, I got to be a witness to that and a participant. And, uh, and then I got to watch her go on and continue to change the world in a number of different avenues. And uh, so when the opportunity came uh, for us to start or when I had the opportunity to to uh, to help start New Orchard, uh, Sam was the first phone call I made. I was basically like, I hey, I'm not going to do this unless you come and do it. So it was a little bit of bribery and, you know, <laughs> things along those lines. but. Um, You know yeah would you agree with that or did i lie
2: i don't know i i (laughs) you don't often lie that's true outright um embellish right (laughs) yeah no i think there's probably a, a deeper side to this story at least from my side because i you know when i first started working with rusty i really was just out of college um and i you know graduated with a feminist film degree so Nothing, knew nothing about business. And ever. I
1: just found that out. That was, you just shared that with I've me. I've never told you that before. No, that was like a month ago. You were like, I have a feminist film degree. And I was like, What? All right. Keep
2: so going, here's the shout out to all you parents who think you might be paying for useless degrees. Your children may still become something. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I really had no concept of business whatsoever when I first started working with Rusty and he gave me in the span of about two and a half years. I, I mean, really just full visibility into the way that, a, that a small to medium-sized business works and I kind of got my hands-on business degree from Rusty. Uh, And so that was majorly elemental in who I am today. The Mm -hmm. fact that you gave me all of the freedom and the knowledge and really let me into conversations and let me observe in ways that I would not have gotten the opportunity to do so elsewhere. And so um, for me, I mean, part of that was I had always had a passion for social justice, global development. Um, and so once I kind of got that from Rusty and really learned the basics of business and how they work, I uh, took that into the nonprofit space and um, got to work with a lot of really cool projects. I was an outsourced program designer. And um, that really just consisted of when a nonprofit needed a new program, when they felt they wanted to step into a new cause or create a certain kind of impact, they would come to me and I would do the research, the value proposition design, and then um, actually kind of sketch out what the program needed to look like and help them implement it and then step out and their staff would take over. And so I think because of that, when Rusty, I was actually in the middle of co-founding another nonprofit when Rusty first called me and I said no about four times, uh, but he's terribly, terribly convincing.
1: Last name's good. So
2: that's right. Yeah. So he's very good at what he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you can, you can call me your hero you like, but I'd, I would not be here
1: would oh, I, stop it!
2: with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would still be, you know, talking about feminist concepts in Hitchcock. somewhere. <laughs> <Yes>. so.
1: <laughs> I'd like to hear that later.
0: Oh, I'll give you the whole spiel. That's good. It reminds me of when I went to my dad and I was like, Hey, I want a music business degree. And he went, no, nope. <laughs> i mean i'm thankful for it now but i think i probably could have still had the same end point with a music business degree like it would have been detrimental
1: but right it's,
0: it's a winding road yeah yeah mm-hmm. well rusty i've known you for a long time now and i think you've had the entrepreneurial bug longer than you even realize hmm. so when did you kind of hit that tipping point of okay it's time to go start my own show
1: that's a great question. I think uh, there were a number of uh, opportunities I tried to force it um, and find the idea. Uh, I had a mentor of mine tell me, you know if you can learn how to run one business, you can run them all. It just you know kind of uh, depend the things that change are the product or the service and the delivery. Um, and he essentially said, if you can you know identify the problem, and find the solution, then you've got an opportunity. And so I kept trying to find the problems and kept trying to find the solutions. And um, things didn't, they didn't feel right. It, it felt forced. And, uh, but then, um, you know, when my business partner and I kind of came together on this idea, everything started working and falling in place and, hmm. You know, and I also have developed a, uh, a good network of uh, mentors and, and uh, people that uh, feed into my life. And so when I kind of invited them in to poke the holes through the idea, it just kind of kept coming up that this is, this is good, like keep going. And uh, frankly, I had a couple of them go, I want in. And so that was uh, honestly, one of our, one of our board members is a longtime mentor of mine and one who I respect the way that, uh, he, uh, loves on his family, loves on his community and his passion about work. And so when he said that, that, that caught a lot of attention. So, uh, at that time it was like, okay, let's, let's, um, cut, cut the cord and go.
0: Nice. Scary and thrilling at the same time.
1: Very scary. Very mm. thrilling. And <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. Mm, that yeah. was awesome. So, <laughs> nice. yeah.
0: Hey, if you can survive, then you can survive anytime. So That's what they tell us. That really us. became our mentality.
2: It I mean, did. honestly, it did. And yeah. I think the pandemic really allowed us to um, get our foundation in place
1: mm-hmm.
2: in a way that let us do that patiently. Yep. Where other nonprofits are kind of try- or sorry, other startups are trying to kind of throw things yeah, together. let's make it clear we are right, not sorry, a nonprofit. nonprofit. <laughs> Revenue. Uh,
0: <laughs> other startups
2: are kind of trying to throw their foundation together so they can get out into the market quickly with this competitive idea that they have, and and we were doing that too. We talk a lot about painting the painting the plane while it's in flight, mm-hmm. but the pandemic really gave us a couple of months at least to to settle down a little bit to slow down, to decide what we wanted that foundation to be, and then to actually implement that in a patient way, as Mm -hmm. opposed to kind of throwing it all together and hoping that it sticks. Mm -hmm. And so I think that as much as the pandemic uh, certainly was a headache for us, it was also, you know, a a pretty big blessing. It
1: was a refinement process. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, I was actually talking with a guy yesterday that, um, Rebecca, you probably know him too, but... um, he started his business back in 2008, and was talking about the recession and uh, and how it kind of compared to us starting in the in January of 2020 and then hitting a the pandemic. Well, you don't have a ton of overhead, and so then any revenue or any kind of uh, money that you do have, you're being very diligent about and, and you know selective of int- intentional is probably the right word. Of how you're using, utilizing those things, um, you know. So that's that's a whole nother story. But yes, it was a it was a refinement process.
0: I like it. Now, more on the dynamic between you guys. Have you figured mm-hmm. out now that, Rusty, you've jumped headfirst into entrepreneurship, and Samantha, you're Have going, you your revenue. No- yeah, you're going for revenue. Yeah, true. You're going for revenue now, <laughs> versus maybe grants or whatever. Um, Like, I guess, where does Rusty stop? Samantha, where do you begin or the other way around? Like, is it, you know, sales, sales, sales for you, Rusty, ops, ops, ops for you, Samantha? Or is there a balance and a skill set kind of molding that you're seeing? Uh, I feel like we fight over that line a lot,
2: Mm -hmm. um, but in a really good way, Mm -hmm. I think that I probably have more open and honest and direct conversations with Rusty than I do with pretty much anyone else besides my husband. I mean, we really, um, he's taught me how to be very direct in the way that I need to communicate what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling and and how we need to move forward. And so I think we've got that really well practiced. Um, And so even now, as we come up on, you know, we joke all the time, we've already had our weekly fight, so we're good mm-hmm. to go. You know if we get it done on <laughs> yes. Tuesday, then we the, the rest of the week is kind of be good. Um, but I think it's both, it's because both of us are very, um, you know passionate kind of seems like a cliche word, but both of us are very invested in what we're doing. And we are incredibly different. Um, but I think we've learned and we're continuing to learn how to use that diversity well. Um, how to use those opposing perspectives well. And so, yeah, I mean, it is, um, I come from a product side. That's, that's where I live. I'm, you know, my priorities are about making a product that's highly valuable to the market. Rusty's priorities are about making a business that can live and be sustained. Mm-hmm. And those two things are not always the same. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they're most often not. Yep. And so we have to kind of figure out um you know, he has to walk me through a lot of times his mindset and from the business side and help me understand, no, I'm not just, you know, we're not just not making this decision or making a different decision because I'm not hearing you from a product standpoint or doing it because this is what the business needs right now. And I think both of us are learning how to not do things perfectly at all times, Mm -hmm. right? That there are compromises that we need to make. Um, there are moments where we go, yeah, we know that the absolute best way to do that would be to do X, but we're going to have to do X divided by three, mm-hmm. uh, in order to just get through this particular phase and being a company that's, you know, our core product is helping other businesses be more mature, fighting that instinct to do the most mature thing at all times for us. is something that's really, has been really difficult, mm-hmm. um, but you know, we're learning how to. We're learning how to get bees. I think, for the first time.
1: I'm learning how to get bees because I'm so used to C's, but that's a totally, <laughs> that's a different, that's a different approach. But anyway, it's, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, or you hear iron sharpens iron. Well, that doesn't come without friction. You know, there's like the whole science behind that things have to be heated up. And they have to they have to hit against one another, and it, and there's conflict and there's friction there, and so being able to navigate through that, I think, is one of the uh, one of the most foundational pieces of business is how to deal with conflict, and then how to deal with uh, resolve to that. So forgiveness, reconciliation, those types of things that becomes very Critical. So where we do overlap uh, is where that friction does happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. So switching gears a little bit more to now the problems you're solving for your customers. Mm-hmm. Curious your perspective of within the New Orchard ecosystem. What does digital transformation exactly mean to you both?
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, I'd love to hear Sam's on this because she is my hero. And she articulates the passion of our company really well on this, so I'd I'd love to hear your your answer. <laughs>
2: Soapbox. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I think for us, digital transformation. I mean, the core of what we do is we are transforming a process um, that used to be very manual, labor heavy. Used to be very dependent on human interactions. Used to very gut feeling, qualitative. Um, and this is really the process of evaluating where a business is today. Where are they on a maturity scale? Where are they on the relationships of their team and how flexible and adaptable that team is in order to be able to grow, to take on things like the pandemic and still come out successful. We take all of that and we turn it into something that can be quantified and we do it through technology. So, I mean, I, I've sat literally on the other side of this, my husband is a consultant. And so I've watched him, you know, he cut his teeth going into rural, you know, places in Iowa with a team of analysts to sit down and do seven stakeholder interviews a day for three days straight, take it all back, code it all, turn it into some kind of digestible report do their own subjective analysis inside their own firm, turn around, have to convince the leadership team that what they saw is actually real. Mm -hmm. And then, and only then can they actually get to creating outcomes. Uh, and so we take that entire process and we alternatively do it through technology, through self-reported quantitative data, um, from the actual stakeholders themselves, from the business itself. So that, that, that long drawn out manual labor, heavy process is something that's fast. It's easy. And most importantly, it's accessible. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is really not to get totally on my soapbox here, but you know, we're living in a country where small to medium sized businesses are at, are the heart of our, our company and our economy. Um, but they are struggling, especially through the pandemic. And it's often been the case that only large revenue-heavy businesses are able to go and get the kind of advice that they need to continue to sustain business as times change, as the economy changes, as the environment changes. So we really are thinking of ourselves as giving access Mm -hmm. to that highly sophisticated, quantitative, experienced advice, business advice, putting that in the hands of small to medium-sized business owners, nonprofit executive directors, middle school principals. It doesn't matter. Uh, really trying to kind of save the heart of this economy, which is that small and medium-sized, you know, family, legacy run uh, organizations that previously have not had access to the kind of education that the big players in the market have access to. Um, and And we do that through making it really affordable, making it really accessible because we've used technology to transform a previously bloated process.
1: Let's all close in prayer.
0: <laughs> I like um
1: that. yeah it's that a uh, great
0: explanation yeah thanks
1: that's why that's why she's my hero. <laughs> she can articulate it very well
2: cool. I mean it's really oh here I go okay it's really <laughs> a question of, <laughs> it's really a question of equity right I mean this is this is something that um, most small to medium sized businesses, nonprofits they have had access to maybe generic business assistance but very rarely have they been able to afford an access uniquely tailored to their business, to their economy, to their ecosystem, whatever it is, advice that is specific to the team they have mm-hmm. today, what they're trying to accomplish today and where they are today. I mean, that is something that it's been almost impossible unless you've got you know, an uncle who happens to be really good at business. What you're going to
1: right. say. Well, what I was going to say is let's not miss the point too, that, you know, within this industry, when someone is looking at a business and they're trying to figure out where it is, we, we always go to what, what, what is the easiest thing to identify? Well, it's historical KPIs. It's, it's financials. It's, you know, these types of things. And we try to derive where that business is based on historical data not looking at the behaviors that actually produce the data. So we're making strategic decisions, trying to figure out uh, if if I should invest in that business, if I should buy that business, if I should you know, build this strategic plan, if I should prioritize this based on things that have already happened. And so what we need to do is, well, what we have done is we've surfaced a way to where you can Um, identify the institutionalized behaviors of an organization uh, in a very, you know, uh, accelerated manner so that you can, uh, you know, diagnose and prescribe very quickly. And it gives a lot of freedom. It gives a lot of clarity, autonomy. Um, You know, think about your own health or, any other things. Once we have clarity on what's going on, it gives us the ability to make decisions and then to get to execution. I mean, going back to the story of your husband in Iowa with all these folks in this long drawn out process, what's the frustration of the client? The client wants to get to execution. They want to solve the problem. Well, what's the frustration of the consultant? They want to get to the point where they can actually make an impact. So let's reduce that amount. I mean, this is what, if, you, if we look at EMRs within healthcare, you know, what back in the 70s, this is what accelerated a lot of that diagnosis, prescription, those types of things. So, all right, I'm going to get off my soapbox now.
0: <laughs> I like it. Two soap boxes in one. I know. It's very clean over here. You have to get a
2: two-for-one with Rusty and I because nobody will pay for both of us. So So
1: what soap would you be? Like, I'm Irish Spring on that one. You are
0: Irish Spring. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's great. I'm thinking now, just to throw a little bit of a curveball at it, what about the, I'm going to call them the gut leader and the person who has been ignoring it, who's not been tracking KPIs, that doesn't have any of this legacy data for you to dive into and quite frankly probably doesn't want to hear it doesn't want to see it how do you approach that person to help them understand why they need to partner with you we don't yeah
1: we don't i mean that to me it's a mindset you know so Mm -hmm. um let's go back to healthcare. uh the guy who's been smoking for 40 years and has lung cancer it's like You want what are we doing here? Are we gonna what are we gonna do? So that's not our client. Our client is the one that want that has a gut feeling, but can't put their finger on it and wants to know. That's the person that we talk to or that talks with us. You know, so we 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 serve three different types of clients. So the the business leaders, Uh, of an organization that want this data, they come to us and they say, can you provide this to us so that we can make a strategic decision, whether it's planning change, whatever it is, they come to us and we provide them with that data and off they go. The second is, you know, the strategic consultative service group. These are the people that are already talking with those folks but they're looking to differentiate themselves within the market and accelerate the impact that they have on clients, right? And then the last one is, uh, is what we call kind of high growth and high acquisition. So this might be like a company that's out there. Um, I'll, I'll use a, a real one. So uh, an organization that is buying up senior primary care clinics. And so they have defined what their standard or North Star is regarding their institutionalized behaviors.
2: And they did that using our tools to profile what are their highest performing clinics. Right. So we kind of helped them do that. And so now they know exactly what that that business or what that clinic profile looks like based off of our tools. Continue.
1: Thank you. Uh, So then that becomes the lens that they now evaluate potential acquisitions. So they're de-risking pre-LOI. They are utilizing this within integration. So it's prioritizing what are the things, if we want to drive sustainable revenue or we want to lower risk or increase quality, what are the things that we need to prioritize within the first 100 days of integration besides the normal like shared resources, those types of things? Um, and then the last one is, is that their uh, well, it's actually, so their operations is now utilizing that to develop pinpoint uh, strategic or focused strategic plans per acquisition towards their standard. And then overall management is looking at it going, Hey, uh, where are we with this, this fleet of investments towards our standard? So, None of those people ever say, or we have not found them to say, we don't, we don't want to know. Because we just we, you know, from a sales perspective, and this Rebecca, you know this, you you know, trying to convince somebody, uh it just doesn't it, it it's it's a lost cause.
0: Hmm. And especially um, when it, it comes to mindset. You yeah, get that right. teach somebody mindset.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And honestly, I think to a certain extent, we're we're not really worried about that particular profile because that particular profile is dying out. I mean, we were looking at the changes that we were seeing even pre-COVID and now post-COVID yep. and how many of these awareness campaigns are running through the, every different industry yep. about we have got to start looking at something other than KTIs to figure out the health of organizations. We've got to start looking at something other than the hard things that we can measure, um, to be able to figure out if this is actually something that's going to be sustainable in the future. There were plenty of companies pre COVID who had great looking KPIs who are no longer with us today. Mm -hmm. And so we are seeing this growth in the interest of leaders, Um, In in these different aspects of business, well, why should I be looking at my team's capacity to adapt and grow? Mm -hmm. Case in point, the last two years. I have to know that. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, one of the things that we talk about a lot, especially with our business leaders, is this concept of strategy fatigue. And this is, I mean, Rusty and I talk about this too. It's like, so strategy fatigue is when um, you have a really important job, right? And you're making all sorts of big strategic uh, decisions inside that job that have high consequences. And then you go home. And your spouse asks you what you went for dinner and you feel like breaking down and crying, right? Like it's the my easiest... wife,
1: Sarah, can attest to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like,
2: I don't know. Please can don't make please? me make a decision, right? right? Like it's the easiest decision of your day, but it paralyzes you. You cannot make it. That's the concept of strategy fatigue. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why strategy fatigue is such a major component of a business leader's life is that most of the decisions that we are making do not necessarily have clear rights and wrongs, right? There's not black and white in business as much as we would like it to be. And so in order to be able to clarify what those decisions are. And so much of why it's not black and white is because there's nuance, right? There's nuance in the people that are involved, the mindsets Mm -hmm. that are involved, the historical institutionalized way we've always done it versus the way we need to do it in the future. And what does that change even look like? And how do I define it? Much less go out and pursue it. That's why those decisions are so difficult. And so our tools really come in and we clarify all of those Mm -hmm. things that used to just be gut feeling. Mm Uh, And so that business leaders can really get unstuck and start making clear, autonomous decisions um, about the things that previously were just so hard to even navigate,
0: much less move forward. That's good. How do you not boil the ocean, though? Like, how do you know which part to start and not try and come in and fix everything at once. Is there a really strategic process to use that word um, where you say yeah. we start here, this is the first problem we'll solve and then let it kind of build beyond that?
1: Well, we kind of let, there's a couple, there's a couple ways to answer that. So again, if you're talking about our platform and what we, you know, identify, so our platform has three major functions, data gathering, prioritization and process enhancement. So the data gathering will look at and identify, um, like what Sam was saying earlier, uh, the way that a a leadership team perceives the business to approach strategy implementation money people. Capacity will look at um, measuring the mindsets, tendencies and beliefs uh, that it takes to uh, maintain sustainable change over time. Or it will also identify the potential hurdles of mindsets that are getting in the way of change. Okay. Um, and then our operational maturity inventory looks at um, surfacing, you know, at our industry agnostic level of it, 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 um it looks at 47 different business principles. So anything from strategic planning, managing by financials, sales processes, uh, employee engagement, whatever you can think of. And it surfaces where, where an organization is across those. So, once you have all those pieces, then it moves into prioritization, right? So, what do we need to focus on first? So, to answer your question, how do we just identify 22 things that need to be done? Well, guess what? No leadership team that I know of is going to be able to focus on 22 things. So, they pick three and they develop what the next 12 months looks like.
2: And our tool helps them pick those three.
1: Right. It prioritizes based on whatever their goal is. So if their goal is to drive sustainable profitability, it's going to lay out. It's going to basically say, hey, based on your current behaviors, these are the things that we would recommend. Now, what the data doesn't know is it doesn't know anything about interpersonal communication of a team. It doesn't know anything about COVID, doesn't know anything about politics, the financial status of an organization. And so the expert, the you know whoever, whether that's the leadership of that of that organization, a consultant, a deal team, an integration team, whoever it is, has to take their observations and experience and marry it together with the data science to reprioritize. So you're marrying those two things together, and you're expediting that uh, that process. So that's how you don't, you know. Yeah, you don't want to boil the ocean as I like. I like that expression, but um, you got to you got to, you know, prioritize. This is one of the things that we've heard with. um, I won't mention it by name, but like, you know, there's there's. um, Strategic initiatives to execute on strategies, right? And but there is a really elementary way or subjective way of determining what needs to be worked on and how they prioritize it it essentially sounds like people sitting around a table going what do we need to work on and we all kind of throw out our ideas of what we need to work on and then we use post-it notes and we stick them on a wall and we say well which one should we work on first i think it's this one i think it's that one let's, let's take the, the subjectivity out of it. And anyway, I'm well,
2: starting. when you create your strategic plan in that method, yeah. 75% of your strategic plan is going to be about pains. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be about vision. It's going to be about what's on fire right now. What are our people feeling right now? Oh, and also maybe we should think maybe a little bit about, uh, we'll throw in a couple of post-it notes about where we're going. Right. So all of that is, is strategy based off of pain. And that's not, you know, that's not going to get you into that long-term, those long-term goals, that big vision that you have. It's a scarcity mindset, not an abundance mindset. And so the way our tools kind of intersect into that process is is to say, let's get complete visibility, not only into our felt pains, but also the things that we don't know. We, you know, you don't know what you don't know. At the end of this, let's know what we didn't know. And then we can make really clear and educated decisions, not only off of what's on fire today, Mm -hmm. but also where we strategically really want to be in the future. Let's prioritize that aspect and fix a couple of the fires iteratively as we move towards that vision, not just let's get away from what's on fire right now. Mm,
0: That's a great perspective and analogy. I like it. I don't use post notes always go anymore. with fire People so uh, respond to fire yeah <laughs> did you respond to fire and post-it <laughs> notes i'm sure i don't use them much anymore but i totally know how those conversations go and and how priorities right. can get misaligned really fast mm-hmm. so, yep so there's another piece of what you guys are doing at new york new orchard that you've talked about and it's this three-part organization and how you mm. guys have really even organized yourselves to then go service your customers. Can you walk us through the idea there and, and the strategy that that's enabling you guys to be able to execute on?
1: Yeah, it's it, we're really excited about it. I mean, we've had some major development of it just even in this week. Um, you know, first, New Orchard, you know, why didn't we name the company Journey? you know, or something along those lines, well,
2: being the name of the product,
1: right. The being the name of the product. Well, there's also a big band that, you know, and anyway, (laughs) new orchard, we actually named new at new orchard for a number of reasons, but one, if you think about orchards, they don't, they don't just pop up. They're very intentional and they take a lot of cultivation and, uh, there's pruning and there's this and there's that. And so we were very intentional of starting a three-part business um, with Journey being the engine, which is essentially gathering the data and you know, figuring out the prioritization and those, those types of things. So we've, we've spent the majority of our time thus far talking about Journey. The second part of our organization that is growing right now is the machine learning and predictive analytics. So one of our goals is to be the front runners of uh, predictive analytics regarding institutionalized behaviors and change over time within the next three to five years. So yesterday we sat down with some really smart people. Really, I mean, I was blown away. Uh, I didn't know that a data scientist, data architect architect, And data engineer, were all in three brains. I thought that it might be in the same, like maybe two, but it was clear that the, the, the value is having it in three separate heads. Um, but it was just fascinating listening to these guys and, you know, kind of where we've been and the data that we're collecting and how we're positioning ourselves. And again, it came back down to, you know, letting expertise reside where experts are. So Rebecca, you asked the question of like, why did you roll the dice? And it was because there was a lot of affirmation that was coming along. There was so much affirmation from these guys yesterday that we were just like, man, we're really we're really doing it, Harry. You know, and so the last part of that three part stool or legged stool is education. So as we're learning, as we're figuring out, hey, if if we identify that a business is at this place. they have this goal and they pull these levers and these are the types of results, you know, our our plan is to educate within the specialized industries. So for instance, uh, I talked about the fact that we've got our industry agnostic version of the platform. We also have healthcare. We've got nonprofit. We just rolled out our education version of the platform. So we now have a K-12 private K-12 public, and we've got a higher education version that's coming out. And so, you know, we want to be able to share the learnings with these different uh, communities and best practices and empower people, you know, and the best way I've, I've got a good buddy of mine that's a professor and he always talks about the best way to learn is to teach, So find out what you find out the different things and then go and repeat it to other folks. And, uh, and then it becomes ingrained. So Mm -hmm. new orchard, uh, you know, is is headed in that direction and we're excited about it.
0: Very cool. Yeah. They say the more you can make complex scenarios digestible and understandable to others, Mm. the understanding of that situation just,
1: Great. Greater. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, an article and I would, if you haven't read it, uh, you would definitely love it. Uh, Harvard business review, just put out an article, maybe a week or two weeks or in the most recent edition to whatever date this is that you're watching this. Um, and, uh, and it talks about, it's actually written by the guys who wrote, um, challenger sale, Brent mm-hmm. something. Um, and, uh, and and they talk about simplifying, continue to simplify the message um, for, for your prospect, for your client, whatever it is. And simplicity, because of how fast everything is moving today, the information that you have access to, but simplifying it for your people is, is whoever your people are is uh, the biggest value that you can provide. Mm
0: -hmm. I like it. And just a thought on um, your third point there too, is uh, maybe pivoting the revenue model in the future. Mm -hmm. Like as you're finding all these efficiencies, instead of being like, hey, this is the cost for this data output and this process and situation, it could be now whatever benefit you see in your business, like get a percentage of that instead that would be really cool. Look at her. I I okay. laughed at <laughs> you.
2: I know. I laughed when I was reading your questions yesterday and and one of them was how quickly can you leverage new revenue streams in your business. <laughs> and I was like 5 minutes. Right, you yeah. I can do it in 5 minutes. That's right. <laughs> We're still cool. so young and so flexible. Right. But also versatile. Versatile and Very lean. Versatile. Um and I think that you know, when we when we talk about what the future of our business looks like, that flexibility is something that we will we will hold on to with both mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've um, really really been intentional about staying lean, mm-hmm. uh, about staying highly efficient, mm-hmm. and um, and I think too, kind of going back to lessons that we learned together. I think specifically of there was a period of time at Guide and Partners mm-hmm. when we were down several. Um, of kind of the key players that were in Mm -hmm. inside what that business delivered. And we went through a period of probably eight to nine months where we were just lean.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: and they were, you know, they were kind of considering new hires and, and looking for new people, but that was, you know, back in the day where Nashville was not a big technology city. And so Mm -hmm. there just was not a lot of available resource. And we went through a long period of lean. And I think that was probably really elemental in learning for me, what it looks like to slim everything down, get highly efficient and really stay patient so that you aren't making businesses decisions based out of pain, kind of going back to that previous conversation. No, we are lead. And this, this hurts a little bit. It's uncomfortable but we are not going to rush into a new hire. We're not going to rush into a new partner, whatever it may be, because we're afraid of being in pain. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that we've really embraced Mm -hmm. at new orchard is let's not be afraid of being uncomfortable. Let's not be afraid of being in pain. Um, now there's a whole decision aside from that about work-life balance, but we won't kind of, we won't dive into that just yet, but (laughs) At the same time, it allows us to make really good proactive decisions as opposed Mm -hmm. to reactive decisions that end up costing us more in the future than they did in the past. So I think as we grow um, and as we really embrace this sort of, we call it the three-legged stool in our back office, then retaining that flexibility, retaining that leadness, retaining that patience Mm-hmm. Uh, and that abundance mindset that what is what we need will come, it is out there. We will be able to embrace it. We will be able to leverage it. Um, I think that that will serve us really well in the future.
1: Yep.
0: So smart, great perspective. I love it. So shifting gears now, a little more direct about I think all these things that have formed your vision and how you guys approach business, but on principles. Mm-hmm. I want to hear from each of you individually. What is a core principle that you live by to ultimately be successful in business? Please. No, I want to hear yours first.
1: Because <sighs> you don't want to steal mine or you want to steal mine. Um mine would be this is there there's a there's a, there's a couple, but it is find out what you love to do and who you love to do it with. Don't the money will always come. I mean, even if, you know, I was talking about this the other day that my worst days in new orchard and the stress or the, you know, whatnot beats my best days and some of the other, you know, entities I've been within. Um, And it's because I absolutely love what I do and I love the people that I do it with. And, you know, kind of um, the creativity. I mean, we have such an unbelievable team um, and a culture as well. Uh, And so, and that's the other core principle is this, you know, Rebecca, what was the name of the um, highest producing um, technology company in Nashville 15 years ago? Go, what is it? no idea, no idea, <laughs> but you can probably tell me about the friendships that you had 15 years ago and which ones are, you know, uh, uh, are still relevant and what fed you during that time or, you know, this and that. And so relationships are the things that last. And so new orchard may, you know, not make it. And, um, but all of the relationships within it have the opportunity to to make it for as long as they want to um that's eternal and so you know looking at going back to that that piece of humans interacting and working together will have conflict and so learning how to fight fight fair forgive one another and reconcile is, is probably the most important thing to me in this business. Um, And in fact, I mean, Sam and the rest of the team can attest to it, that I put that in our, in my agreement with them is that, you know, I commit and I ask them to do the exact same thing is that we will commit towards uh, fighting fair and, um, and, working towards uh, forgiveness and then hoping for reconciliation, which is, you know, the, the vernacular behind that is very intentional. I'm happy to share about it some other time, but, um, but those, those are the things.
2: You're going to laugh when you hear mine. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> All right, go for it. You tell. All right, straight face.
2: Okay. Um, I, I think that probably, uh, the principle that defines not just how I think about New Orchard, but also how I think about most everything um, is audacity. I think that it's audacious for Rusty and I to believe mm. that we can found a company in January of 2020, make it profitable in two and a half years, and then, you know, achieve the big vision that we have. I also think it's just. It's an, it's an audacious way of thinking. It's an audacious way of being. I've been a big believer always that you make the life that you want to have. That doesn't matter what life it is. Um, but it's, it's the courage, the audaciousness, the contrariness to say, I don't like what this life looks like today. I don't like, like what the expectations are on me today. I don't like what the limits look like today. Mm. And so I'm going to be intentional about crafting intent. And and that goes back to the idea of the orchard, right? Like the orchard doesn't spring up overnight. I'm not expecting that my life is going to be vastly different when I wake up tomorrow because I made one decision today, but that incremental, that iterative audaciousness to Mm -hmm. continuously make a pattern of making decisions, making stances, pushing boundaries, setting boundaries. Mm -hmm that will craft the life that you ultimately want to achieve, you begin to see the fruit of that after a season, after two seasons, after three seasons. And so I think that it's, I think that it's absolutely necessary to being able to ultimately look back on life and say, yes, I had a hand in what happened to me. I, I shaped where I wanted to go. I didn't Mm -hmm. just let life happen to me. I didn't just accept the things that came my way. Which is also not to say that there are things that you, that you can have complete control over your life because you definitely, definitely can't. Um, and really one of the defining, I think, factors and one of the reasons why I think that our staff is so close is mm-hmm. that over the last two to three years, we've all experienced major personal loss, mm-hmm. very, very difficult family situations, um, living through COVID, all of these kinds of things. So we're not saying that you have the capacity to take your entire life into your hands. But Mm -hmm. in each one of those situations, do I have the courage? Do I have the audaciousness to be able to say what I can take from this? I will craft to make the next step for myself.
1: Own what you need to own, control what you can control. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I think that that's probably mine as well. And then the other one that I would say, which is a totally different sort of, um, note but this is something that i learned in college which has been really really helpful to me i was in a program in college where basically the for for the first two years of college we read old dead white guys and then argued about it for class is
1: that a name of a book
2: old dead white guys (laughs) or is that a band see greek philosophy (laughs) right um and the first thing that we were taught as we came in as freshmen is at the beginning of every single conversation you need to define your terms And that's something that Rusty and I do a lot. Mm So I will often say to Rusty, "Hmm, I think you're using that word in a different way that I perceive you to be using that word. This is what I mean by this. That's clearly what you mean by this. There's a big gap in these two things. Let's make sure we're defining our terms and calling things what they actually are in order to be able to move conversations forward. And I think that you guys will probably catch me doing this a lot because I will often say, Tell me what you mean by mm-hmm. strategy you know like tell me what you mean by stress, digital transformation digital transformation there you go um, so that we can kind of co- operate off of this common framework and that's a tool that served me really really well, especially in having open and honest and direct conversations and making sure that we're utilizing the same vocabulary and a common language to discuss the things that are really important to us and not getting so caught up on well he said this. And he said it like this. So I'm going to be mad about that. You know, so um, I think that defining your terms, making sure that everybody's using a common language and allowing other people to really describe their own perspectives that creates space for um, curiosity and respect and hospitality inside of your relationships.
1: That's where I look at Sam and I'm like, I don't know how you can't take you son of a any differently
2: <laughs> can you
0: define right that yeah can for you me?
1: please uh, this is what, what i do you
0: mean by right <laughs> yeah guys versus girls <laughs> definitely different <laughs> but you guys are fabulous this was so much fun love this was we doing fun New orchard yeah
1: this was fun with you this was fun with you rebecca it's yeah. good to see you i love the to do wall. it again
0: sometimes yeah thank you
1: yeah is that yeah, real or are- is that uh what is that thing <laughs>
0: I jokingly call it my real fake background.
1: You're fake Because it is fake real,
0: but it's, it's not a behind her. Backdrop.
1: <laughs> ah, gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Mm, so, well, we, yeah, miss we miss
1: you. We miss you down in Nashville. Let's give Nashville Thank a shout you. out in the Nashville mm-hmm. technology community and yes. business startup.
0: Entrepreneur Center.
1: We do have I'll to give a shout people. out. They gave us a great place here. We are sitting in the Nashville Entrepreneur Center in the Chase studio maybe the chase mm-hmm. studio lounge and
2: uh they even let have, us rent a dog to be in here with i us. know we yes. got sassy we the sassy. dog mm-hmm. is
1: in here and we got clark helping us out and so we've uh we got to give a shout out to uh to the community here so uh they've they've been great hosts yes, we don't usually i don't usually look this good so you know we got lights and stuff it's Makeup amazing
0: artists. Awesome. Yeah. You look great. You sound great. So thank you. Entrepreneurs Center, Clark Buckner, and uh, we'll have to see that dog on the next that's episode. That's <laughs> right. That's awesome. Right. Well, you guys have a great rest of your week. Excited to share the good news about New Orchard with the world and we'll watch you guys grow. Super excited.
1: Thank you so much, Thanks, Rebecca. Rebecca.